Yes, all right. Hey, good morning to you. I am looking out, and this is a wonderful crowd this morning. Thank you so much for coming today, and I really pray. My prayer as your pastor and your friend would be that today when we leave, we've got something that we can take home um, and apply to our lives. Because like, as Brother Trey just said, you know, we all face these storms in our lives, and uh, that's one of the things that God shines the brightest is when our days sometimes are the darkest. Our, our sermon series is called Ghostbusters, um, Getting the Ghost Before They Get You. And we're looking at four different things over the next, we've got two more to go after today, but we've got these things, these four things to look at that really, really can haunt us. And today's message is entitled The Perfect Storm. My mind goes back um, to February the 29th um, at 4, 5, 6 in the morning. Everybody remembers that. 4.56 a.m., and, and all the things came together. You know, the, in the perfect storm, everything lines up just right. In that particular case, you know, the front was there, the cool air, the warm air was conflicting, uh, the, crowd, the uh, cloud began to rotate, and an F4 tornado was formed uh, so early that morning and ripped through just right down here and went across Harrisburg out by the Walmart and the hospital and on into Ridgeway even that far. And eight precious people lost their lives that morning. Uh, thousands were displaced and it was a healing process and it's still a healing process. And many people will tell you today that went through, particularly those that were right in the path of the storm, they'll tell you that they're haunted. That they're haunted by that morning. They're haunted every time. Every Tuesday morning um, at 10 o'clock uh, when they test the tornado sirens and they go off, something inside just tightens down. It haunts them, the memory of that perfect storm. And you know, there's probably a perfect storm in your life, isn't there? It wasn't a tornado. It was a, it was a broken marriage. It was a lost child. Um, it was the doctor's diagnosis. Um, it was the loss of a job and not knowing how you're going to provide for your family the next day. There are so many things that the perfect storm comes. And I want to talk to you today, share with you today from God's word about how can we handle that haunting um, of the perfect storm. And it starts out today on a real upbeat note. And it begins with our intro and it simply says this, they couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't believe their eyes. And maybe you've been in a situation where you couldn't believe your eyes either. Perhaps it's a beautiful sunset or sunrise. Or I, I, I'm going to make some points. That Wednesday night, I walked into Faith Baptist Church in the side door. And there was Judy Allen standing there. I couldn't believe my eyes. I married her. <laughs> I married her. I was so enamored. I said, well, we'll just make this thing a lifetime deal. Been doing it for 47 years now. But, you know, sometimes you can't believe your eyes. They couldn't believe their eyes. And here's what it's all about. You know, this is just a little humor. But Jesus throws a fish fry, you know. And, and he starts the fish fry. You know, Dave Disney's a great fish cooker. And, but he always has more than, than five loaves and two fishes, you know. And Jesus does this amazing miracle of feeding 10,000 people. And all he's got, actually he borrowed that. He didn't have anything. He borrowed from a young boy and he has his five small loaves of bread and a couple of fish and ends up feeding 10,000 people. To show you the scope of this miracle, it's the only miracle in, in Jesus' ministry besides the resurrection, okay, that's listed in all four Gospels. 
All four gospel writers had to tell the story about the feeding of the 10,000. It was just an amazing miracle. And it was done, well, it was done so there could be lunch that day. But the bigger picture is, you know, the lesson was this. Anything, including five loaves and two fish, or what, what is it that you bring perhaps sometimes to God, and it's just not much, you know, anything in the hands of God is enough. Anything in the hands of God is enough, okay? And then some, because you remember the story. Um, yeah, they, they um, collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. So not only did everybody get everything they wanted to eat, they turned around and collected 12 baskets. And I have to believe that Jesus said, okay, boys, there's one for each of you. Now listen, don't forget the miracle. Don't forget the miracle. And the sad part is the very last verse of our scripture today says like exactly what happened. They forgot the significance of the miracle. So, so it all starts out with this. And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, we start. Now listen, there's several little nuggets I want you to get today that's going to help you get through your storm, okay? There's several nuggets that are going to help you get through the storm and maybe help you walk with Jesus in the process. So the Bible says in Mark 6, 45, immediately after this. So there's an urgency there. So as soon as, as, soon as lunch was done, they collected the 12 basketfuls. As soon as that, that was over, Jesus began a process of getting the boys out of there and getting the crowd sent home while he went and prayed. What's the urgency? Well, here's the urgency. This miracle of the feeding of the 10,000, uh, 10, and by the way, I know it says 5,000, but that was just men, and this is women and children. At least 10,000 was there that day. And so it was so amazing. This was what the people had been looking for. All these years, they had been under Roman oppression. All these years, and really long before the Romans, time after time and after time and after time and after time, God's people were put down and captive, and, and there were the underdogs, time, and they couldn't wait for one day the Messiah would come, and he would overthrow whatever oppressor happened to be pushing them down at the moment, and he would be their wonderful provider. Well, Jesus shows up with five loaves and two fishes and feeds everybody, and they go, this is it. This is what we've been waiting on. And he feared, with a loose term, he, he, was, he wanted to make sure that they didn't take him and make him king. Because you see, he had a date with a cross. And he was not going to be the earthly king at that time. And he wanted to make sure the people didn't misunderstand and try by force, and it says that in the scriptures, try by force to take him and make him king. So he wanted to immediately take action. So immediately, the first thing he does, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. They had come by boat, and now Jesus insists that they get back in the boat and go back to the other side of the lake. Question, why did he insist? It implies, doesn't it? It implies there was an urgency about it. Okay, and here's the urgency, I believe. I think the urgency was he insisted because they resisted. Now, you really got to get this. So here are the guys, you know, they're men in their nets or something, you know. And like, you know, and so Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me. 
And the Bible says they leave everything behind. Their fishing boats, their nets, their dad, and all that stuff. They leave that behind and follow him. Because they, they I mean, this is like a call to discipleship thing. They knew who Jesus was, and they heard some of the things he had done. And so, yeah, so they began, they began to believe that, wait a minute, this guy could be the Messiah. This guy could be yeah. And they knew from the teaching of the Old Testament, besides Isaiah, that in their brains, Messiah is going to be king, and we're going to follow him, and he's going to be the king, and we're going to be the princess. He's going to be the biggest rock star ever. We're going to be his assistant rock stars, and it's going to be a great life. Well, exactly what happened, was it? And so when he fed the 5,000, Jesus sensed they were enjoying this a little bit too much. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah, he's the guy who did it, but I'm his, I'm his lieutenant. I, I walk with him every day. And so Jesus knew there was a danger that they would be sucked in to the world's opinion of him. So they, he wanted to get them out of there. In other words, it was a rescue. It was a diversion to get them out of there before they got sucked in by whatever the world believed about him. And so he insisted that they get, get back into the boat. But here's the part. Don't miss this. And head across the lake to Bethsaida. Okay? Do you see it there? Hey, boys, I want you to get back in the boat. No, I don't. Listen, I don't want to hear it. Get back, Peter. Get back into. I know, Peter. Get back into the boat. Okay? And listen, I want you to hear me. You're going to Bethsaida. Implication. No matter what happens between here and Bethsaida, you're going to the other side. And you need to remember that. Because God has promised... Listen, He hasn't promised you a Pollyanna life on this earth. But He did promise you this. Put your faith and trust in Me, and you're going to the other side. You, there, you know, trust Me, and no matter what happens in this world, you're going to end up in this wonderful place called heaven. So he tells them that, hey, you're going across the lake to Bethesda, and here's what I'm going to say, and here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to send the people home, okay? So he sends the disciples away, and then he sends the people home, okay? This is, this is a very, very significant thing, okay? Now, the reason why he, again, sent them to the other side of the lake was, number one, a rescue. He's getting them out of a very uh, temptatious situation. And number two is, he's sending them to school. He's sending them, they don't know it, but he's sending them into school. And so our teaching point says this, great lessons from God are often followed by, and let me put this word in here. I wrote this so I can do it. Great lessons from God are often followed by great opportunities to practice whatever truth was taught. First we learn, and then we apply. Okay? That's how it works. You know, we, we often forget um, the fact that when we go to college, you know, girls don't do this as much as guys. But, but they, all, they get on campus, and they forget they're there to learn, and they often think they're there to what? Party! You, you, everybody knows, you, in the good old days, you didn't go to SIU to go to school. You went to go to SIU to party. That's what the whole deal was. And we forget the primary purpose. Now listen, in life with Jesus, we sometimes forget the primary purpose. And the primary purpose with Jesus isn't to get everything we want every day that we want. It's to learn. 
is to be like him. See, when you followed up with Jesus, you signed up to be a disciple. And disciples learn. That's what disciples do. Now, the boys didn't quite understand that. And so when the big party happened and he fed all those people, they were saying, Woohoo! This is what I signed up for. This is great. This is awesome. Let me ask you a question. Now, listen carefully. This is one of those Jesus questions. What did you sign up for when you signed up with Jesus? What did you sign up for when you signed up for Jesus? Can I tell you, can I be honest with you? In Western culture, most people will tell you this. Oh, I signed up to go to heaven. Who wants to go to hell? I wanted to go to heaven. Okay? Uh, most of us say, well, I signed up. You know, there's a lot of preachers who preach this prosperity gospel. Oh, I signed up with Jesus so I'd never get sick. And if I happen to get sick, then I'm guaranteed a healing. I'll never lose my job. My kids have straight teeth and are straight-A students. My marriage won't go south. I'll always, you know, have the, the, every promotion I want. I signed up for the good life. Who taught you that? Who taught you that? That is so not biblical. You won't find it in the book. You know, 11 of the original guys, only one lived to be an old man, and they exiled him and put him on an island. All the others were martyred. I mean, we, again, we don't get necessarily the good life here. We get the good life there. There. So, so because we're disciples, God gives us this opportunity. You say, why does God send storms? Why does God allow storms? Why does God send storms into my life anyway? It's because he wants to give you an opportunity to practice whatever truth was taught. You are a disciple of Jesus. A disciple. Write that down. You're a disciple of Jesus. If you like the term, you're a Christ follower. You follow Christ for the purpose of learning. See, the term Christian was used one time in the Bible, and then it was used by the world as, as, a, as a negative term toward these people who walk the way. That was another term, the way. So you are a disciple, and God wants to give you opportunities then to learn all that he wants you to learn. So in verse number 46, the Bible says this. After telling everybody goodbye, he first sent the boys away and said, Peter, get in the boat. Okay, they get in the boat, they start rowing across the lake. And then Jesus tells the crowd goodbye. He's basically saying, no king today. Uh, Y'all need to go on home. Glad to give you the free meal. Hope you enjoyed the fish and the french fries. Okay, but but now it's time to go home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the mountains by himself to pray. How about that? He went up into the mountains to pray. Now, this happened this morning. I try to be real transparent with you. Uh, so I'm studying this thing. I always do my last minute studying, you know, in, in the mornings. And I read that verse, and it's like God spoke to me and said, Dwayne, if my son had to pray, and I'm, by the way, I do pray, but if he prayed, in fact, he went up to the hills to pray, and, and we learned it was consistent that he went up sometimes all night and prayed. And if my son prayed, Dwayne, you need to teach and you need to live the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. Um, you know, I've, been, I've, I've read a great devotion this week about the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is, you know, it's the third person in the, in the Godhead. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit gets this, like, back seat. Like, well, you know, he, you know, he is number three, you know. But it's never meant to be that way. They're, they're you know, Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, they're equals. 
you know, three in one trinity. And same thing with prayer. Prayer, you know, oh, I got to read my Bible and I got to go to church, but don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. Well, Jesus certainly didn't. He went up into the hills by himself to pray. See, have you ever thought about this question? Uh, Why did Jesus pray? I mean, was he like talking to himself? I mean, he was God. You know, no, no. See, Jesus understood something that prayer, get ready to write this down. Prayer is more about intimacy than getting. Prayer is more about intimacy than getting. The reason it was important that he go up into the mountain to pray because it was giving him a time to be intimate with his father, to know his father more. And, and when we learn this great truth, it will radicalize our prayer lives. We pray. Yes, there, there, we need to pray. But have you ever said, you know, Jesus said, my father already knows what you need before you ask. So prayer has got to be bigger than just asking. Okay, and so and so prayers about being intimate with the father and that's what he was doing. And that's what we should do. The first priority of our prayer life should be to be intimate with uh, the father. Now, however, with that said, what do you think Jesus prayed about that day? What do you think he prayed about? I think perhaps this is my opinion. Um, I know he prayed about the second thing, but I'm not so sure he didn't pray about the miracle. See, God, God never does anything arbitrarily. And so this miracle had a purpose, all right? And perhaps Jesus prayed, Father, you know, in, in your name and in your power today, you know, we impacted people. Don't let it be wasted. Don't let it be wasted, Father. Lord, let these people sense how much you love and care for them in this feeding of all these people today. So I think he prayed for the miracle. I can almost say with certainty, they prayed for the guys in the boat. He prayed for the guys that are no longer with him. They're over here somewhere about two or three miles out in the middle of the lake, um, and they're rowing, and they are in the midst of a storm. So I feel so certain we can say that Jesus prayed for them. Okay? So remember, prayer is about intimacy. Okay? What did Jesus pray about? He prayed about things of the kingdom. He prayed about not letting a, wa- a miracle be wasted or those boys helped them to be strong. Well, verse number 47 says this. So late that night. Okay, so at the end of the day, Jesus goes up in the mountain and the boys are in the boat. Okay, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Okay, you need to know something. Somewhere in the process of time, a storm comes. The storm being a strong, not like a thunderstorm, a strong wind began to blow. And if you know anything about water, you know that when wind blows, waves come. Wind blows, waves come. So here they are now in the middle of the lake, and this storm has blown up. The waves are raging because the wind is raging. And the Bible says Jesus was alone on land. Okay, now, here's what I want you to get. Okay, take home this. Jesus was where he was supposed to be, and the boys were where they were supposed to be. One was in the middle of a storm, and one was on top of a mountain. One was practicing. Remember, there's a lesson to learn. When God gives us great lessons, he gives us opportunity to practice that lesson. The lesson of the feeding of the 5,000 was God is always enough. God is always enough. So now they're in a storm and they're getting to learn firsthand. God is always enough. We got waves. We got wind. God is always enough. 
So they're practicing and Jesus is praying. Both were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And all happens when? Late at night. Probably, I'm going to guess around midnight, and there's a reason why um, I say midnight. So what's our teaching point? Okay, well, surely, surely, as the, as, the wind, as the wind began to blow, okay, and as the waves got higher, okay, I'll guarantee you somewhere along the way, they began to feel very isolated. You understand, they were always with Jesus, and now they're not. Jesus was always so close, and now he seems so far away. And perhaps as the wind got higher and the waves got bigger, they might have felt even abandoned by Jesus. Just like we do. When the storm starts blowing, when the doctor says, when your husband or wife says, when your child says, when your boss says, and the waves get higher, all of a sudden we feel sometimes isolated and perhaps abandoned. We ask questions like this. Where is God when I need him? Asked that question before? When a close loved one dies, when the doctor says stage four and not contained, when your wife says, I found somebody else. Or maybe your parents say, we just don't care about you anymore. I knew, you know, when I gave birth to you, I thought you'd be a failure. All you're doing is proving me right. And it hurts. It hurts. And so we go, God, where are you when I need you? And then you ask that other question. And by the way, why did you put me here anyway? Why, why, why did you allow me to be in this place? And the answer is, listen, God has a purpose for everything he does. And when he allows the storms to come, they're to help you become a better follower, a better disciple of Jesus Christ. I know, I know, I know, we signed up to be happy. And God said, no, 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 no. You signed up to be holy. And the word holy means to be set apart. See, and we got confused in our Western culture, and we thought everything. You heard some preacher say it on TV. I hope I'm not guilty of it. But she's on TV, and, and boy, healthy, wealthy, wise. Yeah. And so it didn't go like you thought. But here's the truth you need to know. The truth is, we can, somebody say never. Never, yeah. We can never be far from the omnipresent. You know what omnipresent means? Everywhere. See, Satan, by the way, is a created being. He is not omnipresent. He has many demons, but he can only be, and his demons can only be one place, one time. Okay? God is not like that. God is everywhere at one time. Okay? So we can never be far from the omnipresent God of creation. So you never have to worry about that question, where are you when I need you? He's there. Somebody say amen. He's there. He's there. And you know what? You know, he's omni-good, too. So you never have to worry about saying, why did you do this to me? Because he has a purpose for everything that he does. So, so, so important. Well, in verse number 48, the first part, I love this. I mean, I really love this. I love this. 
he saw that they were in serious trouble. Okay, so here he is. There, the Bible says, I think, like two or three miles out in the middle of the lake, in the darkness, in the darkness, in the darkness. They're rowing like crazy, okay? Rowing hard and struggling, trying to keep the boat going in the right direction as the winds are coming and the waves are blowing. The wind's blowing and the waves are coming and crashing over the side and they're doing everything they can to make progress and it seems so difficult. And here he is on top of a mountain, praying, and he lifts his eyes, Andrea, and he looks. And he looks and he sees. He looks and he sees. And the Bible says he saw that they were in serious trouble. I love the Bible didn't underplay the situation. They're in serious trouble. Hey, guess what? Sometimes we get in serious trouble, don't we? Don't we sometimes? Again, once again, can we just go one more time? The doctor says, stage four. Your husband says, sorry, done, don't love you anymore. Got me a new babe on the side. You know, uh, your son, your daughter, your parents, whatever. You know, all this serious trouble. But I want you to know he sees you where you are. He sees you where you are. No matter how serious your trouble seems, he sees you. I know this truth, there's pinpointing that those guys that night, but this truth is for us in, the, in 2023 today on August the 13th. I'm telling you, he sees us. He sees us rowing hard. He sees us struggling against the wind and the waves. Dwayne, yeah. Did Jesus know the wind and the waves were coming? Yeah. Yeah, he did. In fact, the wind and the waves were part of the lesson. They had to understand that God was enough. You know, whatever you have, God is enough. They need to learn that lesson. And in a casual rowing across the lake with a moonlit night would not teach that. It took a storm. It took a storm. And here's what I want you to see. Are you ready to write this down? The storm originated with Satan. The storm originated with Satan. But it was approved by God. See, some of y'all got this idea that Satan can run around doing whatever he wants to do to God's children. Again, where do you get that teaching? I mean, don't you remember Job where Satan had to go and say, Have you considered your servant Job? Okay, I'm going to give you this much permission. See, let me read it the way I wrote it down. You know, orchestrated by Satan, but allowed by God. Talking about the storm. God is so much more and bigger than putting out Satan's fires. God, your God, your, your creator God, your all-powerful God, your omnipotent God, does not run around the world going, whoops, psst, whoops, psst, whoops. Satan is his lap dog. Satan is his lap dog. Satan can't move without God's approval. And whenever God allows him to move, it is for his purpose, his glory, and your strengthening. Believe that today. Because it's true. Because it's true. Because it's true. So he saw them struggling, struggling against the waves. 
And then our teaching point says this. Jesus saw them. And Jesus sees you. Oh, by the way, can I just pause? You know, every once in a while, God just prompts me. Someone's still here today, or on Facebook, maybe, or on the radio, maybe. And you're still going, man, I still don't get it, Dwayne. If God loved me, why would he? It's the fact that he does love you. He knows your best life is when you are most like Jesus. And that involves storms. He's not mad at you. Not that he doesn't like you. He knows your best life is when you're most like Jesus. And you become most like Jesus when you learn to go through the storms of life. Well, Jesus saw them and Jesus sees us. And there's never a darkness too dark. There's never a darkness too dark. I love Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, why, David? Because you are with me. Look at me. In your darkest moment, as a child of God, in your darkest moment, He is with you. He's with you. This is stuff you've got to believe. Well, Dwayne, that takes faith. Exactly. This whole deal's about faith. Never a darkness to a distance too great. You remember when the prodigal son, remember the guy that ran away from home, ran away from daddy, you know, and spent all his money, he was feeding pigs, and finally said, hey, I think I'll go home. And he starts heading home, and the Bible says, and as he came home, the father was looking. He, he saw the boy coming over the horizon. He looked every day, and no distance was too great. No distance was too great to limit his limitless power. What? Okay. What is it you think God can't handle? Come on, be honest. What is it do you think God can't handle? What, what, what illness, what, what situation, what circumstance, what person is it you think God can't handle? Because when you start putting limits on God, you're saying he's not able. Rather, teach us to be, you know, his distance is too great to limit his limitless power and compassion. Oh, listen to me, child of God. He is very keen on you. He is keen on you. He loves you. Well, just exactly how much. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, gave him to a Roman cross, uh, gave him to a butcherous Roman execution squad, you know, you know, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes. Anybody here believe in Jesus? Anybody here believe in Jesus? Anybody here believe in Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, since you believed in him, since you believed in him, since you believed in him, you shall not perish. Not because, yeah, not because you get it right. Not because you earned it, because by faith you believed in Jesus. That's how much he loves you. That's how much his limited power and compassion play out. That is just, that is just incredibly, incredibly true. Well, verse 48, the second part. Remember I told you it was late at night, and that was probably about midnight. Now, look at it. About 3 o'clock in the morning, um, the darkest of the dark. The darkest of the... Have you ever said, you didn't think it could get any worse than it did? Yeah, okay, well now it went from dark to really dark. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. Mm, How about that? 
Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, this is so big. I love it when the, I read, you know, I, I, I have this thought and then I get a commentary out and it says, oh, yeah, well, how about that, Dwayne? You're right. Okay, what was the threat? The threat, they were an open rowboat, rowboat about 20 feet, 25 feet long probably, you know. Okay, the wind wasn't the threat. Oh, my, wait a minute. In Ephesians 2, 2, the Bible calls Satan the prince and power of the air. In this case, he's probably the originator of the storm. And just like the wind was not the threat, guess what? He's not the threat either. Because our God's bigger than that. Can I have an amen? amen. Our God's bigger than that. Okay? All right, so 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so walking on the water. So what? the threat's not the wind. The threat is the effect of the wind, which is waves. And the waves are wanting to sweep into the boat and sink the boat. So along comes Jesus. And what is he? I mean, you know, it would have been cool, like, you know, if, if Superman, dun, da, dun, dun, da, 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 and Jesus comes zooming over the waves. And I guess that'd be cool. But instead, he comes walking on the very thing that threatens them. Let that soak in. I'll hit it again for you. Here he comes at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the waves are the threat. The waves are crashing over the boat, threatening to sink the boat, and he comes walking on the water. Jesus is treading on the threat. Now, guess what? That's exactly what Jesus does in our lives. He walks on the things that threaten us, showing his superior. Do you believe that today? How in the world could you keep quiet? No matter what it is you're facing. No matter if it's that stage four cancer. Because you say, well, Dwayne, what if I die? What if you die? You're going to heaven. And by the way, heaven's a lot better and a lot longer than here anyway. I'm not making fun of cancer. I'm just telling you, there's something better coming. And whatever it is that you feel threatened by today, Jesus walks on it. He puts it, he puts it under his feet. That's the power of the Savior that you serve. Wow. He's walking on the water. And then you got this, what? He intended to go past them. Dwayne, what does that exactly mean? <laughs> we don't exactly know. You know me, I whip out the commentaries. We don't know what this means. We don't know what this means. We don't really know. You know, so one guy said, well, maybe it was like that was the disciples' uh, perception of the moment. You know, it looks like to me that he's going to walk right by and say, hey, boys, how y'all doing? I hope you make it okay. I'm going to go on over to Bethsaida. We don't know. But perhaps more important than what it means is what it doesn't mean. Okay? Well, I, I can't definitively say what it meant. I can definitively say what it doesn't mean. And what it doesn't mean is that Jesus didn't care. You need to write that down. He intended to go past them. Well, obviously, he didn't care, did he? Of course, he cared. And by the way, he cares for you. 
He cares. Even when it seems we can't understand, God, what are you doing? You just need to take it to the bank. He cares. Well, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. How did that happen? Well, okay, write this down. Storms will twist our perception of God. Storms will twist your perception of God. When the waves are crashing, the wind is blowing, when, when life is so very difficult, if we're not careful, that will distort our perception or how we see God. And that's what happened here. They said, oh gosh, here comes a ghost. He's, you know, it's not Jesus, it's a ghost. It's not something good, it's something bad. Oh, just like storms. Uh, how about that? Well, it goes on and says, they were terrified even when they were terrified. Verse 50, the first part. You know, they were all terrified when they saw him. But what did Jesus do? He spoke to them. I love when he said, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Sometimes, often, the voice is more important than what your eyes see. The voice is more important than what the eyes see. See, in, in John, in chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. You know, sheep are real skittish anyway. But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And the reason Jesus spoke is because he, he, you know, the boys couldn't trust their eyes. They already thought they were seeing a ghost, but they could trust their ears. They could trust their heart. So he spoke to them, and my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And with Jesus, what we hear is often greater than what we can see. Does God still speak to people today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, know, I don't want you to think I've gone wacky on you. But sometimes in my life, and I bet in yours too, there's that still, small, gentle voice. I can't explain it. It's not like I hear an audible voice. But it's just something inside. I just know God speaks to me. One of the greatest thrills I have, the one thing I live for right now is this. Getting to teach you guys. And it's so... I can't tell you how many times God just speaks to my heart and gives me something to share with you. So sometimes it's a still ball voice. But often, it's this. This beautiful revelation of God to us. Can I have a witness that there are times when we didn't know what to do and you open your Bible and and God speaks to you through his word. Yeah, can I have a time when you were scheduled for a big surgery and somehow you reach into the hospital drawer and there's a Gideon Bible and you open it up and there happens to be a scripture you know and it speaks to your heart. This is so important that we become very intimate with this book. Very intimate with this book. So God speaks through still small voice. Sometimes God speaks through... Um, his word. Now, often he speaks through his word. Sometimes he speaks through circumstances. Something happens and it communicates a truth. Often he uses other people. But what you need to hear, are you listening? Are you listening? What you need to do is God's still talking. 
God is still talking. Now, if it ever contradicts the word of God, you've got a bad voice. Okay? If a preacher ever tells you something that's contrary to the word of God, stop listening to him. Okay? Okay? So what you need to take away then is that God is still talking. God is still talking. Well, he goes on and says, and um, verse number uh, Joshua 1, 9. Let me just throw that Jamal, let's go ahead and throw that one in. We skipped this in the first service. You know, this is, this is Brent's favorite verse. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have that, that confident assurance. And verse 50, the second part, 50B, back up one, Jamal, there for me, buddy. Okay, look at this. He said, you know, when Jesus spoke, what did he say? Number one, don't be afraid. You know, it sounds like one of those little catchy things, um, but it's not. You know, 365 times in the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. One time for every day of the week or every day of the year. 365, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. We can be courageous because God is with us. If you're in the boat, you don't have to be afraid, okay, because God is with you. And I love this. I am here. Now, you remember one of the names for God is what? I am. The reason we don't have to be afraid, the reason we can take courage is because I am is here. When you're going through the greatest storm of your life, you can have courage because I am, God, is here. When you're going through the most difficult time of your life, I am is here. You don't have to be afraid. Finally, verse number 51. <laughs> can y'all, does that, am I the only one that finds this humorous? So, so here it is. The waves are still rocking, okay? And Jesus climbs into the boat. I've got to, I mean, hey, boys, move over. I need a seat. And let me tell you something. Jesus wants to climb into your boat today. And I'll tell you something else. When Jesus climbs into your boat, everything's okay. Look what it says. And the wind stops. When stopped. John Phillips said it went from total chaos to total calm. Apparently in the Greek it says all of a sudden when Jesus got into the boat, I mean the wind stopped and the waves stopped. It was miraculous. In fact, that's probably why they were totally amazed. Totally amazed. So when Jesus climbs into your boat, the storm stops and the peace prevails. When Jesus climbs, see, that's why you can face surgery, you can face trials, because Jesus is in your boat. Okay? The master of the wind leaves the prince of the air. Remember Ephesians 2 2, prince and power of the air. The master of the wind leaves the prince of the air deflated and gasping. That's the power of the Savior. That's the power of the Savior. So our last scripture is Mark 6 52. This is pretty amazing. Can I, can I go back? I, I know. Remember? The feeding of 10,000, 5,000 plus 5,000. Okay? There was a lesson, the significance of sufficiency. When you have God, God is enough. Okay? Now look what it says. Look what they put in the scripture. After all this, you know, they, they were all panicky and they thought Jesus was a ghost, all that. He gets in the boat and there's calm. And then Mark records this. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. They didn't practice the lesson. 
They didn't understand Jesus. If you have God, God's enough. And they went to the storm and they got frightened because they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves, that God is enough. And their hearts were too hard to take it in. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what one guy said, and I liked it. He said, you know what? He said, maybe they were miracle hardened. Even by this time in the ministry of Jesus, oh, it's just another miracle. Oh, it's just another miracle. Oh, it's just another miracle. Can I challenge you today? Don't be miracle hardened. I'm one of them crazy people that believe miracles are happening all around us. I'm one of those crazy people that believe that miracles are happening, happening all around us. The problem is we dismiss it as, oh, well, a doctor or medicine or this or that. No, it's the hand of your miracle-working God in your life. Believe that. Believe that. Go into every storm believing that God can do a miracle. Now, does that mean, Dwayne, I'm going to be healed every time? Of course not. I told you I don't believe that. Well, you're healed in the sense of heaven. No, it doesn't mean, again, God's not a vending machine. Put your quarter in, you get your miracle. You know, God's not a soda machine. Put 50 cents in, you get your soda. God's not Santa Claus. Climb up in my lap, son, ask what you want, and you're guaranteed to get it. He's Almighty God. But He is for me and not against me. And... The answer to my prayer may be what I asked for, but hopefully it will be what he wanted. He wanted. He wanted. So today there's just so many nuggets for you, and I hope you wrote some of them down, and if not, this will be on, this will be on YouTube, uh, probably even this afternoon or maybe tomorrow. Um, the worship event has the slides there. If you want to save that, go open that and save that. Because these are things you need for the coming days. I don't know what the future holds. I can tell you this. It holds storms. And it holds a God who holds the storms. And the more prepared we are by believing in Christ, the stronger we will be. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you so much. I pray there is, there is something today, more than some, one, several things that we can take home and apply it to our lives. Uh, as always, this morning our altar is going to be open. Maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe, maybe the storm is pretty strong in your life right now. So maybe you want to come and pray. Brother Brent would be standing down front. And we'd be, loved to, be glad to counsel with you and, and share with you. Maybe it's a great decision you need to make. You heard about the cross today. That God loved you enough to send son Jesus to die on that cross. May that pique your interest. Whatever it is, if we can help you today, that's what we preach and do for, we worship for, is to honor God and give you hope and help for life. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Father, please take these truths and help us as we are told to get in the boat and then trust you. And when the storm comes, help us always remember that you control the storms. You control the storms and that we can trust and believe in you. Father, speak to the hearts of your people and the ones who are yet to be your people. And Father, have your way. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.